Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer and Aaron Dotson, and you are listening to or watching, as the case may be, Christianity Now. Christianity Now is a podcast where we we scrutinize the world through the lens of God's Word. Another way of saying that is we talk about timely issues and timely topics from the timeless perspective of God's Word. We have a couple of verses that inspired the theme of this show. Aaron is about to read one of them for us now. The first is the passage about the sons of Issachar that helped David when the kingdom of Saul was turned over to him. Verse 32, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Absolutely. You know, the context there, I don't mind. I don't, I don't care how old this gets. David was in a next stage of his existence. He's got to be the king. He needs to know how best to lead the house of Israel. And therefore, all of the, all of the tribes sent men to help accomplish that. But one tribe in particular, the, the, what they were good at, their uh, contribution to this uh, solving of this dilemma, was they sent men that had understanding of the times. That's another way of saying they sent men who had an understanding of current events. Yeah. And uh, this is seen in the New Testament from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I suppose, there, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. And the idea of a man remaining as he is there is a man remaining single. Mm-hmm. And we know from Genesis chapter 1, or well, the the creation account in its total gets us from nothing to a family unit. God pairs off every single animal, and He says it's not good for man to be alone. Well, evidently the times can be so distressing that it might be best for a man to be alone. <laughs> so yeah. current events absolutely plays a part, and, and and things that are going on in our society play a part and how Christians ought to deal with them and how to act. Absolutely. It, it doesn't mean that ethics are situational, but no. prudence can be observed. Absolutely. Anyway. Societal propriety, too, comes into play it. there. And I, I don't know I, I don't know if I coined that or not, but I know yeah. that I'd never heard it until I said it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're the one I heard say it. Yeah. It, it's a sense of societal propriety. What is proper in the society where you are? Well, it come up about wearing, wearing hats in the, in, the, in the house, wearing hats in the church building. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no law that it violates, but it does violate the sense of societal propriety. Yep. And uh, yep. without getting too deep into it, that's one of the things that was going on in Corinth is women were having their head unco- uh, covered. No, hold on a second. Yeah, women, women were uncovering their hair. And that communicated something in that society. And men were covering their head, and that communicated something in that society yep. that it was not profitable for Christians to be associated with. Yep. So Paul said, well, do it this way. <clears throat> yeah, we don't need to be people that are just trying to break these societal norms <clears throat> that are... Uh, we don't need to stand out any more than we already do. When we stand out, we need to stand out for what matters the most. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. For the, for the cause of Jesus and getting people to come to Jesus to obey him, not to hinder him because we don't want to take our hats off in the building. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, that, that kind of gets a, a, a pretty good segue into the first video I have planned for us, Aaron. I've yeah. got only two videos today. And... I see something in society, and I found these two videos, and I thought they worked well together. And when it comes to submitting to a sense of societal propriety, in other words, I'm not going to go to to a church building where a group of people are and wear my hat and just rebel against that. And I think I need to mitigate what I'm saying by the Titus Timothy principle. If I'm somewhere and I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing this just to be rebellious. I'm not trying to prove a point. I accidentally leave my hat on during some 
some some time where society says I need to remove it. If a person has a legitimate problem with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna respond and be like, listen, I'm sorry, I just won't wear my hat again. But if a person is trying to spy out my liberty in Christ and bind where God hasn't bound, and you can tell the difference. Absolutely. Well, on one hand, I'll be like Timothy. I'll be like Paul's decision to go ahead and get Timothy circumcised. He knew he was going to be teaching the Jews. But in Galatians chapter 2, there were Pharisees that crept in unawares in order to spy out the uh, the uh, liberty of the Christians there in the first century. And they insisted on circumcising Titus. And Paul said, no, no way. I didn't even put up with that for an hour. Yeah. So there, this is, whenever you talk about submitting to a sense of societal propriety, it's not black and white. It's not one and done. It's not a hard, hard line where, oh, well, if society says X and you do Y, then you're going to hell. You've got to you've got to use a little bit of of discernment, Absolutely. I guess is my point. Yep, yep. Suppose somebody actually made a hat inside their facility a salvation issue. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and you, the thing then, about it is, then you can use that gently yeah. with respect, but authority from God to teach. Yes, that you know this is not a matter of salvation. Yeah. We have liberty in Christ. You know that I don't mind taking time on this because it needs to be taken. Not everybody needs to teach a congregation that lesson. Like if, if I'm if I'm visiting, let's say that I let's say that I'm going back home and I have to travel. I'm I, it's a 3-day trip if I drive like a normal individual. I've made it in 48 hours, but it's 30 hours of drive time from here to where we were in Arkansas. So just about anywhere I'd go is 30 hours of drive time. Well, if I break that up to where I drive 10 hours a day, I may find myself somewhere between here and quote unquote home on a Sunday. So I'm going to go into a congregation and they, none of them are wearing hats. Well, it's not going to be an issue because I'm not going to wear a hat, but let's say that I forget and I don't take my hat off right as I get in the building and some well-meaning brother or sister comes up and gently admonishes me and tells me that. It's a sin to wear a hat in a church building. What should I do? Well, I should observe the Passover. I shouldn't say a word. I'm not invested in these people. I'm not going to be there long enough to deal with this situation the way it needs to be dealt with. I just need to submit to the societal propriety and take my hat off and be gracious about it. Yeah. Let them believe what they want to about the hat. Yeah. Now. It's a it's a big difference if I'm there for an interview and they hire me as a preacher and they uh, th- then we talk about it. What hey, let me ask you, what would you do if you were in that same situation? They said, We hear you're a faithful evangelist of Christ. Would you meet with us and discuss why you don't think this is a matter of conscience? Or excuse me, you don't think this is a matter of salvation? You'd, oh, absolutely. You'd, you'd meet with them. Yeah, yes. they, they don't. They don't appear to be poking or starting no. a fight. They're just like, we've had some division on this here. Yeah, and some of us think this, some of us think that. Will you weigh in with the scriptures? What you? Yes, that wouldn't that, that be is, meddling. That's, that's totally not, different. Yeah, they they have asked you. Yeah, yeah, they have invited you to do that. Yeah, but to impose it upon them, well, that that's why. I mean, I think. You know, receive everybody, but not to doubtful disputations. Yeah, don't don't make don't make your a uh, f- uh, proximity fellowship contingent upon these things, these ideals, these scruples that you hold. These doubtful disputations. That's it. So yeah, that that's that's absolutely the case. Um, a, a, a one that comes to mind, Aaron, is uh, the 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 cloth the thin sheet that's over the Lord's Supper in many of our congregations in the South. You can't move that cloth. Some people, I mean, they, in their minds, that's a holy cloth. Yeah. And, um, well, what would I do if I went somewhere that had one of those cloths and I was just going to be there, you know, a couple yeah. of weeks, maybe maybe do a gospel meeting. Mm-hmm. If I, if, I, if, I, <clears throat> if I build a rapport with somebody there, I might, 
talk about that one-on-one. But while I was there, I wouldn't feel entitled to impose what I believe about that on them. Yeah. And that yeah. that's that's really there there's a reason, <laughs> you know, we What if you saw a fight going on but no one asked you to get involved and you obviously see a fight, it's apparent and you teach on it either privately or publicly with the desire to promote unity, you know, just like, Hey, you guys can get along about this. This one side's not going to heaven and the other hell over this issue, unless you have sinful attitudes and, you know, carry that out against each other or something. What would you do then? Like nobody asked you to get involved, but you saw an, uh, you obviously like you saw an obvious problem over it. There there's a proverb, Aaron, and I can't think of what it is, but it's uh, basically a proverb that says, mind your own business. Yeah. Hold on. Don't make me go to your first Thessalonians verse too. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's similar, isn't it? <laughs> it's Proverbs 26, 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own. is like know. one who takes a dog by the ears. Yeah. Well, I, I would really kind of think about that. <laughs> and... I would weigh the benefits of getting involved in it. So that, that may be not only two brothers in Christ, that may be two blood brothers. And yeah. if you wait off in there trying to make peace, like who are you to come in yeah. between us? I mean, this is yeah. my blood kin. Yeah. You shut up and leave us alone. We're, we've, we've fought about this before. We're going to fight about it again unless he changes his mind to what I believe and There's vice just, versa. Just factors in there that you don't know as the outsider. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It, now, it has to be in a real extreme case or something where well, it, well, they're like, we're going to shut this church down if we can't come to yeah. an agreement on this matter. We're just going to yes. quit meeting. We're going to quit the faith because yeah. it's too complicated. Or Yeah. Now that that's, that's where, I mean, I'd be, I feel compelled to step yeah. in because then that's no longer in the realm of those two individuals. That's yeah. the, the entirety of the congregation. Some brethren do feel that way. They have been divided over certain things for so long. There are many brethren who get caught in the net of disgust. Oh yeah, and they just they can't figure it out. They're sincere. They understand, you know, the fundamentals of what it means to be in Christ. But they have heard so many things about this, that, and the other that are in the realm of judgment. They just throw yeah. up their hands and go, "I'm just sick of this. I know. I don't know how to do it. I I have. I know people like that. And and we have we have not educated our members about how to. Well. We haven't we haven't educated them about how to resolve conflict in this way. Number one, number two, we have made them ideologues and not actual thinkers. Back in the past, before we had these different factions, and I'm I'm really choosing my words carefully here. You could have people. People studied enough. I, I think it's, I'm so glad that I graduated from Memphis School of Preaching. I think that at this point, our schools of preaching have been a net positive. But I think there's something really negative that has happened as a consequence, a byproduct of that in these preaching schools. You take a congregation of 100 members, and over the course of 40 years, 50 years, they've sent 12 or 15 students to Memphis School of Preaching or Bear Valley or wherever. That's 15 people over the course of 50 years who who showed an aptitude for study, an aptitude for knowledge of the scriptures. And because it makes the masses uncomfortable, and you might say, well, Tony, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Yes, it does. And the reason why it makes you uncomfortable is, is because you think that studying the Bible the way a preacher studies the Bible is something that is not in is, is you think that is something unique to to a Christian. Therefore, we ostracize them and we put them off by themselves. We segregate them. If that congregation had have kept those fifteen men over the course of fifty years. You would have a congregation with 15 men and 15 families 
who prioritized deep study and independent thinking of the scriptures. And you would have people in the congregations exposed to these deep thinkers, these intellectuals who were able to articulate their particular matters of judgment, and they would have had to have all learned to get along. Where now, what happens? Well, if you believe the gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation and all its attending blessings, and when you graduate preaching school, you typically end up at a congregation where collectively they believe that. If you believe that the that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself and it's the non-miraculous indwelling, you typically end up at a congregation that believes that. And the third one, if you believe the gift of the Holy Spirit is um, the prophetic outpouring of power uh, delivered to the apostles first, then through the apostles to all of humanity, through the people upon whom they laid hands, then you typically end up at a congregation that believes that. And you don't know how to even teach or relate to someone who believes differently than you. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. why back in the day with Guy N. Woods and Gus Nichols, Flavel Nichols, um, oh, I, Foy E. Wallace, <clears throat> uh, Johnny Ramsey, so, these great giants – they everybody knew what they believed on these issues like if we die today do we go straight to heaven or do we go to paradise first if we you know what is the gift of the holy spirit what about jesus being forsaken on the cross all, all these different things uh, the uh, the was 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 the book of revelation written in the 8090s or in the AD 68 67 somewhere along in there all of these different Topics were discussed and argued openly, and people were still able to remain brethren because people were used to having differences of a scholarly opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now we've gutted the churches of people who are who study enough to be informed enough to have a scholarly opinion, and we send those people out, and they to go to get, congregations that believe that what they do. Yes, and then it then it then it makes where. So it, it makes isolates uh, more. Yeah, monoliths. It makes a congregation a monolith. Yeah, and it shouldn't be. Yep, it shouldn't be. Yep. Um, I, that's why I love the Riverview Church of Christ up here. I mean, the the running. I had a woman withdraw fellowship from me uh, up here and left because I said, and I said, look, you don't have to believe what I'm about to tell you, but I do not believe for one minute that when Jesus was walking around after his resurrection, he was in anything less than a pure, unmarked, unblemished body. Because that's the state of resurrection I'm going to be in. And if he was walking around with the wounds from his crucifixion, you could make the case that he didn't really die, that he just was mostly dead. And he and he was nursed back to health. So I don't believe that Jesus walked around with the nail prints in his hands and his feet or a hole in his ribs. I think that's the height of foolishness. And I think that's this. I don't know where that came from. And we went to all the places in the Bible that, that talk about that mentioned the wounds of Jesus after the resurrection. Nobody interacts with them and they're never directly mentioned in a way that you can prove they're even there. Yeah. It's amazing to, to think about this now. N- nothing necessitates that conclusion. No, nothing necessitates the conclusion that they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you slice it with Occam's razor and it's, it's more reasonable to conclude they're not there mm-hmm. and you still have the same outcome. You still have Thomas saying my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, why do I say this? I had a woman withdraw fellowship from me, and and little did she know, subsequently, the entire congregation, because I taught this. Mm. Like, she couldn't let it go. And I'm mm-hmm. like, sister, you don't have to believe this, but because yeah. I wouldn't recant and say that, and admit that he had wounds and, and affirm that he had wounds, and, and she even said, well, I, I've got, I've got. Uh, seven preachers and five elders, I think she said. 
I'm like, well, what's it? What that doesn't matter to me. You know, I can go get you seven preachers. I, I said, I, I'm, I know more preachers and elders than you do that believe what I'm saying, and they probably got more clout in, than yours. If you just, you know, I, I kind of had a moment like Paul, like, oh, you think you're, you think you're good? I got more. You know, you, you can boast. I can boast better. But my point is this: so often that's how it's handled. Oh, you yeah. mean the gift of the Holy Spirit of salvation, all its attending blessings? I believe it's the Holy Spirit Himself. I can't worship with you. And then they leave. And they go they go find a congregation that believes the way they believe. And now we've denominated the Church of Christ. How do we get here? Yeah. What where do we start, Aaron? Uh I'm struggling myself, except except I've enjoyed it, but to get back to where we started. I, we were mentioning he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the oh, ears. Yeah. That was thrown in there, too. We were talking about going into circumstances where they're divided over these matters and how we need to be, I don't know, just people of peace and unity. We don't. Yeah. There are times when, like with Titus and Timothy, you know, there's, there's times yeah. when the liberty is being spied out and we Absolutely. defend the liberty. There are times when it's not needed or necessary because it's not to that level. That, right. That's not the fight, you know, and it's and, just, Hey, that's the way we do it here. We have a cloth on the Lord's supper table, you know? And yes. Okay. Let's have the Lord's supper then. <laughs> and, and the reason, the reason we have these issues is because we started treating members of the church like children or, well, actually we started treating them like children. We didn't love and we stopped practicing discipline. Yeah. And I think this, this first clip I got here is from Jordan Peterson. And he talks about uh, during his time as a clinician, they had issue. He was helping this woman with, with her two-year-old child. If I may say, if I interject this, this is yep. where like evangelists and elders must step up and teach. Oh, yeah. Be an example by teaching. Elderships do not need to listen to one individual or one little segment of the congregation in a matter of judgment. And then we'll decide this. Cause you know, two or three, one of them want to have the cloth and then like they need to know the Bible. They need to know what God has bound and what not God has bound and make a decision based on the whole entire congregation, not one or two or three, or there's just one guy, you know, he puts in like a thousand bucks every week. And so we'll let him, he yeah. wants to have the cloth. We'll do it because of him. Most other people don't want the cloth, but we'll do it. That's, that's the eldership being led around by the nose instead well, of the eldership leading. You've just described uh, a congregation that is led, led by the tyranny of the weaker brother. Yep. It's, you know, Romans it's, 14 it's talks about the weaker brother. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, or Romans 15 talks about the weaker brother, him that is weak, receive, but not to doubtful disputations. That Really, the word should be tender, that tender in conscience. And what, I, what will happen is you'll have a person who's tender in conscience who is not as studied as he should be, and he will make a demand of the eldership, and the eldership will cave because they'll say, well, we do have a small amount of people that believe this way, so we're going to rule the majority of the people based on this small group of people, and they're, keep, they're, they're oppressing by tyranny one group of individuals, and they are really treating the other group of individuals badly because it, it's, it's the bigotry of low expectation. Well, these people, yeah. they just don't know any better. They'll never know any better. We're not going to be able to teach them any better. So we're just going to tiptoe around them as yeah. if they were narcissistic, petulant, tyrannical children, yeah. and we don't want to set them off. So we're going to do whatever we can to keep them appeased. And even when it seems so innocent, it just builds. That, that's, yes. the, that's hard to cut you off. That's, that's, what, that's the thing. I think elderships think it's innocent. Well, it's just it's not something nobody else has said about it, so we'll just do it this way, like it's innocent. But that builds. That's yes, feeding a monster. It's feeding a monster, as innocent as it seems. Oh, yeah. And if you keep feeding that monster, eventually one day <laughs> it's going to run off with your congregation. Yep. And, and, and the congregation will be subject to the whims of petulant children. 
again, my point is this is the time for evangelists and pre and pastors, elders yep. to teach, teach. Well, there's four or five that don't like that. Well, teach them. This or is a teaching. Yeah, this is a teaching opportunity. Yeah. And if they won't accept that teaching, let them go. Let them get rid, get rid of them. Well, let them go. Let them make their own decision. Let me let me throw this video up here because that we're we're yeah. gonna we're we're gonna make all the points from the video if we don't watch it. <laughs> go turn in there. We took care of one kid for. All right, hold on. <clears throat> this is old Jordan Peterson. I like Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah. Oh, J. P. P. Jordan. Yep. Oh, J. J. B. Jordan. Jordan yeah. B. Peterson. Yeah. We took care of one kid for a while who his mother thought he was really tough because he had her he had her figured out. And one of the things he would do is have a temper tantrum, and during the temper tantrum, he would hold his bloody breath until he turned blue. It's like, try that. Like, you know, as, that's your homework. You don't have the willpower of a two-year-old, that's for sure. That little varmint, man, he'd just have a fit, then he'd hold his breath, and then he'd turn blue. It was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And we would just, like, let him do it. And, you know, he'd turn blue, and everybody would be gone, and he'd come out of it, you know, and it didn't work. So he just quit doing it. I think he did it like twice and he figured out, oh, well, that's a lot of work for very little outcome. And, you know, it's not like two-year-olds are stupid. They're, they're not stupid. They're probably smarter than you. <laughs> All right. So I, I really like that. And, and what I like about it is uh, it's, a, it, it's a picture of a lot of our members sometimes that, that want to rule the congregation in, through the elders by their temper tantrums. Yep. And I put a post, a lot of my stories start off with, you know, I put a post on Facebook some years ago <laughs> and it turned out really, really bad. I said something to the effect of, if you're leveraging your attendance at a congregation to get what you want, then go ahead and leave because you weren't there anyway. Leveraging your attendance at a congregation to get something you want is the equivalent of a two-year-old holding his breath till he turns blue. Yep. And and here here's the problem. It's well me, and I, I do think I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, Aaron. <clears throat> I do mean I do believe it's sincere and well-meaning brethren who want to cater to these people out of a sense of love and fairness and equality yep. or, or equity or whatever. Just there's just one problem. It's abusive. To them, it's unfair to them. Yeah. And, and, and what do you they do don't realize that. that. No. They don't realize that. The teacher, the elders probably don't realize that. No, they, they would be much better off letting them throw their fit. Elders should know that, though, from their own children. If they've been successful at home, elders should know that from their own children. That's that's what I got to say about that. Well, that that's maybe why God in his wisdom put that in the prerequisites. Yep. You know. I think so. And, and that's probably a pretty powerful argument to put into a team of eldership to a team of elders, an eldership say, Hey, we're having this elders meeting because some people have come to you saying that I've said this and they're offended by it. Well, let's be men and let me put, get in front of them to talk to them. And if we're not going to do that, then you understand that this is like children throwing a temper tantrum. Well, yeah, but they might leave. So. If, if they're, if they're, if they're going to leave, they're not, or they're not there anyway. They're not vested. They're or not invested. there. They're going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, uh, I used to be a little bit famous in retail sales. The last organization I worked for selling this particular kind of dog food and I could upsell the really cheap dog food. I could talk people into buying this dog food that was. At the time, it was like a dollar a pound. A 30-pound sack was 30 bucks, twenty nine ninety nine, you know, something like that. And that's a very, very expensive when you consider you can buy a 50-pound sack for like $20 of the cheap stuff. But I was good at explaining it to people and everything. And I would always get people come back, and some of them, I, I, I say always, some people would inevitably come back and be like, well, I know that dog food is good, but my dog isn't eating it anymore. What do I do? I'm like, put, so let's say your dog requires three cups. You put three cups in, you give it to him at the, at a certain time, give him 10 minutes access to it. 
and what he doesn't eat, you take it away and you put it up on the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, you give him that same bowl. Or excuse me, the next day, I said this wrong. It's been over 10 years since I've done this. So let's say out of 10, 10 minutes, he eats a quarter of a cup out of his three cups. Well, the next day, you give him a quarter of a cup. And that's all he gets. It doesn't matter if he begs for more. He only gets a quarter of a cup. And then, so you let him eat a quarter of a cup. He's done. The next day, you give him twice as much. You give him half a cup. If he eats all of that, then the next day you up it. And I had some of those dogs that I was trying to get really, really bulky that only needed three cups. I had them putting their face into their bowl and eating four to four and a half cups of dog food per day. Well, somebody would say, well, Tony, I'm putting the dog food there and he just isn't touching it at all. And it's been three or four days. Uh, My response is, well, do you understand he's going to eat right before he starves to death? Like he's not going to starve to death. He's going to eat. He's not going to die for this stubbornness. In fact, (laughs) we used to have a saying when he's training horses. We tell them horses, all sickness ain't death. <laughs> Meaning you, you, you have not suffered unto death yet. You're, you're fine. Yeah. Just because you think you're dying, you're not dead. That makes me think of Hebrews 12. You hadn't resisted to bloodshed. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All sickness ain't death. You can get through this is the idea. Yeah. Well, then you would have somebody come back and I know like something's not right. My dog hasn't eaten in two weeks. Wait a second. You mean your dog hadn't eaten two weeks and somebody hasn't called animal control on you yet? <laughs> your dog's eating something. Well, what? So tell me what you do. Right. Well, I, I, I put my food, I put the food down in front of him, just like you said. Okay. I give, I, I offer it to him for 10 minutes, just like you said. Okay. And then puts it up. And then I'll give him treats or I'll give him some of his old food. And like, do you realize that's like taking a, a two-year-old kid or well, say, I say two, we'll say a six-year-old, take a six-year-old and you put down a bunch of good green vegetables and stuff like that. And if he doesn't eat it, then you give him a Big Mac and a Hershey candy bar. Yep. Like that's the equivalent of what you're doing. Yep. Give him the snacks that he wants. Yes. Well, elders that allow people to rule the congregation in this way they're taking away the good, healthy stuff that they're supposed to be getting from Christianity, which some of it doesn't taste very good. I don't like to be disciplined. Do you? Right. So it's, it's, but it's really good for you. Really good for me. Yes, it is. So they're taking away from them that when they refuse it, and then they're giving to them the candy and the Big Macs and the, and right. the tacos from Taco Bell and all that good stuff. But like you said, the, the thing that's most healthy is like Hebrew says, the peaceable fruit of righteousness that that's comes it. from the discipline, from the teaching and correction. Absolutely. Hey, there are 16 people here. I'm so thankful oh. that you're here. Douglas Connerly. Um, yeah, so LaBeth still does have a Facebook, but you'd be better off getting in touch with her through the mindful soul. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. Uh, good to see you, Susan Marie. and. I'm not going to try to pronounce Manohar, I think is how you pronounce that. So listen, if you're watching this, be the algorithm for us. In fact, we know how it breaks down. Uh, There are 12 people on Facebook and three people on YouTube. Whatever you're watching on right now, share that and share it to your Facebook timeline. That would really help us a lot. Also, if you're, if you're if you listen this long, you're you're bought in. Consider supporting us at uh, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches, and uh, look at the show notes if you're listening to this on the archive. Aaron, I don't think we need. I don't think we need to let immature Christians run amok. Yes, and I, like I was like I said, just like don't give people stuff they want teach them that's what they need elders need to remember or know they, yeah. they, i hope it's just a reminder 
They need to remember that as a pastor, they're to tend the flock. They're able to teach. They can teach the people in these matters of judgment. Say, hey, hey, calm down, sister. Look, hey, look, we care about you. You are valuable to the congregation. You, like every member, need to know this is a matter of conscience. You feel one way about it. There are some others that feel another way about it. We have to make decisions based on the entirety of the congregation, not a certain segment, but the whole congregation. And and because of that, we want you to know that here here's this issue, whatever whatever the particular. What is the one example we gave? We gave an example of a matter of scruple. I forgot what uh, it was. But the sheet over the Lord's just like the sheet over the Lord's supper table, or something like that. You know, the the exact ways that we carry out the Lord's supper. We we know where to take it. On Sunday, we know the Christians are to partake it. We know it's fruit of the vine and unleavened bread. We we know that you know God God has legislated that He's spoken, but you know the table and the cloth and the way we walk away from the table and to the table and that kind of thing. Hey, there's there's much liberty. So, and that's the thing. That's what we've. I, I feel like a lot of what we're not teaching, you know, evangelists, preachers, and 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 shepherds. They're not teaching people how to to ascertain the truths of the Bible. That they're not they're reading everything in the in the New Testament like it's law. Yeah, like they're reading Matthew like it's like it's law literature. Absolutely, you know, Acts like it's law literature. Well, it's not law. A lot of it is not law. There are laws, but a lot of it's not. A lot of it's narrative, and some of it's poetry. Yeah, a good example is using John chapter two and the miracle of the turning the water into wine as a as a, a justification for social drinking. Yeah. Now look, we're not going to talk about social drinking very much, but whenever somebody uses John chapter two and says, Well, don't you know Jesus turned water into wine? Hey, listen, I don't care if the Bible says Jesus turned water into what in the eighteen hundreds would come to be known as Jack Daniel sour mash whiskey that's 80 proof. I don't care because that's not my mail. Yeah. I know what the New Testament says about commanding me to be sober and commanding me to not be drunk. Yeah. I can't I can't help what happened in the old covenant under the old covenant. Yeah. A lot of things going on in the old covenant that don't pertain to me. Yeah, you know, it sounds cute to say, well, if Jesus did it, we can do it. But are we actually bound? To do what Jesus did, or are we bound to believe and teach and practice what he taught? Teaching yeah. them to observe all things I have taught you. I'm not I'm yes. not gonna make a wholesale statement so we don't need to follow the example of Jesus. But if you take that to its head, you know, you're okay, so we need to be making water into wine. That's obviously well, a sign of the Messiah, not something we say, do. This I, is a this is a hard pill to swallow for some, but Jesus is not our example either in that way. Yeah, in that way, you know, yeah. the the, the yeah. specific little things Jesus did, we don't have to follow uh-huh. everything he did. We have to follow how he interacted with God and every how how did Jesus be godly in this earth? Yeah. He he adhered to the law which he was under. Yeah, he loved God. He loved his fellow man. But I don't. I don't have to go to the pool of Bethesda. I don't have to go to Jerusalem three times a year. I don't have to show myself to the priest if I get healed or that, I get better. You know, right. I get better from a sickness. That's right. But what do I have to do? I have to serve God and keep His commandments. Yep. In under the law in which I live, yeah, or under the law which I live, rather. And we live under a new covenant. That's it. That's it. Don't don't clip that. By the way, I don't think we should follow Jesus. You understand what I mean by that. If you clip it, I know you're not honest. <laughs> we we do follow Jesus, but we follow Jesus as it pertains to the new covenant. That's it. Not the old covenant under which he lived. That's it. And uh anyway, that that's we we've got to do that. My, all, all of this What are we you, saying? Yeah, what are we saying? <laughs> well, we're we're getting to a point, I promise. And the, and the and the video I'm going to show next is going to drive this home. So, everything that we've talked about I think there's an underlying problem and it's a problem of how humanity relates to God. Mm -hmm. And we don't know, or maybe we know, but we don't conceptualize 
the idea of holiness well enough. I remember whenever Brock debated that one is Pentecostal and I was the moderator and I was studying their views and all their doctrines and I run across the doctrine of holiness and I thought to myself, this is a good idea. It would be a good idea if, and and listen, the, the funny thing is, is this is not outside the purview of the local church. The elders can get together because elders rule in matters of expedience. And the elders can actually get together and say, listen, we're going to make some rules for our flock that we shepherd. And women need to wear dresses and not wear so much makeup and not cut their hair. It could be the same holiness rules that the Pentecostals have. The difference is it's implemented on a local level at the local congregation by the local shepherds and not a main organization. Now, that would never fly. People would go crazy. But elders rule in the matters of expediency and for them to have rules about how men and women dress and behave is straight within the boundaries of what they're allowed to rule over. Yeah. And it's not a bad idea. So you got to be careful with it, though. I'm wondering sometimes, I wonder if if perhaps, generally speaking, elderships are not making rules that they should for that particular flock. Maybe we have, again, generally, we have trivialized matters of expediency to to just merely, well, the elders get to decide what time we come to church. And, And it's because we don't understand or acknowledge what it actually means for God to be holy. Yep. And for them to be shepherds, to uphold God's holiness in the flock. So, um, yeah, just like if you saw a woman not setting boundaries for her child, you would take that as a sign that that woman is sick and she doesn't love her child. If an eldership doesn't set boundaries for the congregation, you take that as a sign that those elders don't love their congregation. It's it's a simple it's a it's a it's a it's a hard concept. pill to swallow though for people. Yeah, very. They much think so. it's out of love that they don't that they don't require things of them. Scripture you know? specifically states that the way a father shows his love to his son is through chastisement. Yep. That that oh. setting boundaries. That's all chastisement is. The setting boundaries. Oh, but America's convinced us that's not. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. no. We can't do that. All right. I've got to get this next video up. Oh, yeah. Put it on. Hold on a second. I got to add it first. <laughs> I was All trying right. to say JBP earlier, like three initials. I know people call him Jordan B. Peterson. Yes. <laughs> uh, What's going on? Oh, there it is. My computer was running a little slow. All right. I feel like this one's going to be loud. Since God is. Woo, it is loud. Yeah. All right. You got to listen kind of carefully to the beginning here because they're in an open forum. And this may be a holiness outfit or a Calvinistic outfit or something. But since God is slow to anger and patient and all that, then. Why did he basically, why did he punish Adam and Eve the way he did and all that? So anyway, y'all ready to listen? Yeah. All right. Oh, since God is slow to anger and patient, then why when man first sinned was his wrath and punishment so severe and long lasting? Time out. Didn't we just have that question a second ago? You get that question in many different kind of forms from people that don't understand the nature of holiness. I'm going to back this up just a little bit. Because I, Time out. I, yeah, that's that's, R, that's R.C. Sproul. Oh, that's R.C. Sproul? Yeah, the, the oh, yeah, guy so on the Yeah, he is, definitely. Gotcha. Okay, so... The guy that says time out, he's disgusted. And he, he's going to sh- kind of mock the absurdity of the question. 
which I don't believe in mocking questions if they're answered honestly, but I can also, if I'm of this mindset and, and the same question is asked over and over again, and it's based on the same problem, I, I can see where somebody would get frustrated. I've gotten frustrated before. Mm-hmm. I'm out. <laughs> Didn't we just have that question a second ago? We did. Yeah, it's a little, little, little nuance. That God's punishment for Adam was so severe. This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. After that, God had said, the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Surely die. And instead of dying, Thanatos, that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time. But the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And the punishment was too severe? What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. And we don't know who we are. Come on. <laughs> He's putting something out there that, ooh. Yeah. So We hadn't thought near enough. No, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of holiness. That, that's why we have this debate about, well, hell can't really be eternal because no just and loving God would send somebody to hell for eternity whenever they only have a few short years on earth to commit sin anyway. And I'm like, oh man, you just, first off, you don't understand that our original existence was to be eternal period. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not that it's not that the difference is annihilation versus spending an eternity with Jesus and the eternity we spend with Jesus is something extra that we get for being righteous on earth. It's that we were going to get eternity anyway. Now, do we spend it with Jesus or do we spend it with Satan? Do we spend it away from Jesus? It's really not spending it with Satan, is it? It's, it's spending it away from Jesus. It's Jesus or away from Jesus. Yeah. It's God or away from God. Yeah. And we're eternal beings. We're either going to be, it's just like on earth. During our lifetime, you're going to be, you're either going to be with God or away from God. Mm-hmm. In eternity, you're either going to be with God or away from God. That's right. Period. That's all it is. Yeah. You get to make your choice now, but we don't understand if, if we're, if we're, if we're looking at, at Adam's punishment, like how can God have punished him so greatly? The question should be, how could he, how did he take it so easy on him? Right. Because as the man said, this creature that was birthed from the dirt, this creature from the dirt defied the almighty creator of everything. And you're saying, why was he so hard on him for this little thing? You're you're making notes. Yep. It's the wrong perspective altogether. That's it. Like we don't, God doesn't know us anything. Not a thing. We don't deserve to be alive. He no, created sir. us of his own free will and his grace and love. You just touched on entitlement. The The same issue in the first video about the little kid throwing the tantrum and how do you deal with that? And how do you deal yep. with church members who throw tantrums? Why do they throw tantrums? Why, why do we look at God's interaction with Adam and Eve and think, how could God have been so harsh? It's from a sense of entitlement. Yeah. God will give us up to a reprobate mind. He will eventually one day, as he did in the long ago, say, you know what? I'm done with y'all. It's time. It's time for me to send my son to get my people. Yep. And if there were to be books written in heaven about the time God decided to do that, 
it would read very much like the chapter there in Romans, Romans chapter 1, where, where the phrase is used, and neither were they thankful. Knowing God, they acknowledged him not as God, and neither were they thankful. We need to be grateful just to be alive. Amen. If we were more grateful, we wouldn't cause such problems in our churches. Amen. And that's, that's about all I've got to say about that. Aaron. Yeah. Taking my notes. That's my sermon right there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's gratitude. Romans 1. That's it. Let me go over there. I got my, I'm, I'm, oh, hold on. I went past it. I can't, our, I can't ever remember what verse this is. Our gratitude is reflected in our attitude. It's reflected in the way that we live. It sh- we show everybody. We show God and everybody how thankful we are or the lack thereof. Yeah. It's verse 21, Aaron. Romans 1? Or- yeah. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but because, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I put forth to you that the implication there is that this path started with not being thankful. Yep. Yep. We need to be more aware of what God has done to done for us, not done to us. I guess done to us as well. But the idea, I don't know how quite how to articulate this. We need to understand God better and his holiness better so that we can be more thankful because there is no reason that the logic of man can articulate for why God has done what he's done. Yep. All these things that we've said just since this second video has made me think about something I've been contemplating a lot lately. It's been making me think about, I've been wanting to try to make sure that I'm looking at the Bible the correct way and teaching it in the most correct way. And by that, I mean, generally, we tend to look at the Bible as these different people and these different events and all these neat stories and all these cool miracles and and even salvation, although that is so very important. But I heard someone say something about this, and I can't repeat exact words, but it made me think, and I'll just articulate it my own way. The Bible is about God. It's yeah. about God. Yes, it's about man, too. But I think we tend to focus more on man instead of God. And we're, it's like we're working from man toward God instead of trying to see God in every page of Scripture, the way he thinks, the way he acts, his desires, his will, his requirements, his personality, and then how we relate to that because we're made in his image. And 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 our responsibility is to be thankful. You know, it in and, and David Stafford just said ingratitude is a stepping stone for other sins. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. That's I mean it's it's all whether or not we're you know when you're faced with all the trials and and, and temptations and even sins in your life what gets you back on course? Go back to the cross of Jesus. Okay. Go back to the cross of Jesus. Does it produce gratitude in your heart? You got what you don't deserve. We got what we don't deserve. You know, and, and and that is the basis for the way we think and the way we act all the time. I've heard old gospel preachers say that. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you find yourself doing things you shouldn't, what gets you out of it? Well, I can't help it. I'm so tied up in sin. What's going to get you back to repentance? Go back to the cross. That's it. I mean, that's so basic. That's so fundamental. It's too but, simple. It's too simple for the world. The world constantly stumbles over it. The world can't take it. It's like the man of God, the man of God. It's like uh, the servant told Naaman, if the man of God had come out and told you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. Yep. Why not just go wash and be clean? Yep. Same thing. I'm, I'm heading to Acts chapter 17. And, uh, oh, that's Acts 16. No wonder it looked funny. All right. 
verse, uh, well, we'll just read it here. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though we needed anything, seeing as he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, though he be not far from every one of us. I've always read that version. I've always said, no matter how far away you get from God, no matter how many steps you take in the opposite direction, he's only one, you can find him by taking one step back. Just yeah. turn around and walk, take one step back towards to him. Yeah. But take one step back toward him mm-hmm. and you'll find him. Yep. Remember his holiness. And it's because of his holiness that he went so easy on Adam and Eve and subsequently us because he's not like any other God that we can conceive of. Yeah. He's holy. So he's going to act different. So when we're thinking that the the consequence and even the punishment eventually of and for sin is Mm -hmm. too great or too harsh or too mean or too strict, it's number one, it could be because we're, we're acting on entitled thoughts and feelings and motives. Yes. Yes. And also because we 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 are not thankful like we need to be. I, I would submit a third point that goes just right with that, and that just is misunderstanding the nature of God. Like putting yeah. the focus on man, the old saying goes, creating God in our own image and seeking instead of seeking God in his own image, you know, seeking him for for, for who he is. Like this text says in Acts 17, uh, seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him. So God has created his created order in such a way that we can seek him and find him. He is not too far. He's near. That's it. And one of the reasons why we have the issues, I think, in the Lord's church that we have is because we haven't been trusting in the process we have a misunderstanding of God, and therefore, when it comes to things like discipline, we don't we don't know we don't do it right. We might even follow all the steps, but we don't do it right because we don't understand it. Because yep. we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the holiness of God, of what it means to be a loving father with children, and chastisement of children, and. You know, a lot of times, the only time you'll ever see elders is whenever a sin against God is committed. Yep. You, that's yep. not that's not the only time you're supposed to see the elders. Yep. You know, you're supposed to see the elders in good times and in bad. Yes. And if a brother trespasses against you, not necessarily against God, you're supposed to be able to go to that brother and you should trust your elders enough, and your elders should be the ones guiding and leading this. Really and truly, if if I had a if I was in a congregation with good elders, and I, my brother trespassed against me, and had to go to him and him alone, the first person I would carry with me is one of my shepherds. Yep. Anyway, we got to trust the process. We we yes. got to understand that God loves us. And when he disciplines us, he shows us he loves us. Therefore, whenever we set boundaries for the congregation and the members of it, we love them. And that's all I've got to say. Amen. The flock of God, the people of God. That's it. We we need humility and, and gratitude. We need a lot of humility and a lot of gratitude in our in our life and in the flock. That's it. It's all about that gratitude. I can't get over that this morning. That's caught me. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's it's the main thing. If you you cannot I, do. I, you can't even. You can't help a person that's not grateful. Yeah. Because they're going to want to go their own way, and yep. going their own way is what got them in the mess of needing help in the first place. Yep. Absolutely. Anyway, well, dude, unless you got anything last you want to say, any no. Nah. 
Final nice. bits of profundity. It's just good stuff. We have to be we have to be people that follow the discipline, you know, the discipline of God, the teaching of God, and be grateful in our hearts. God's so gracious to us in so many ways. And that when when we have that gratitude in our hearts and and we are thankful for his grace and love and his discipline, then that yeah. it, it, it affects the way we treat other people. I just think we could go on and on about this, but I just think, like, generally speaking, we're just too hard on one another about things. We're too hard on one another about things that don't really matter, and we're not hard enough about things that do matter. I've heard that. I've heard that communicated this way. In the Lord's Church, we're really good at making mohills or mountains out of mohills, but we're also good at making mohills out of mountains. Yeah. And by the way, when I was saying hello to everybody, I missed Constance Davis. I didn't mean to do that. I hope you're still here with us, and I hope you're enjoying the show. Scott Beck says, as I've heard B.J. Clark say many times, if you don't like it, go create your own universe. And that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's it hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you don't like the rules... Go set up something where you can follow your own rules. Yeah. The problem is nobody can do that. So we got to follow God's rules. That's it. Anyway, well, Aaron, I'm going to sign us off. That's it. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, we appreciate y'all. We appreciate everybody that's here. Remember, be the algorithm for us. Like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And uh, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches to support us as a podcaster. And that's all I've got here. God bless you. This has been Tony Brewer and Darren Dotson with Christianity Now, and we'll catch you on the flip side.